oneness. What is that really? You hear it in marriage conferences and sermons, but what does it really mean? Well, I can start by telling you what you already know. It is the opposite of what some of you have experienced this past year during the pandemic. You see, over the past 12 months, we have all spent a lot of time with our spouses, our kids, maybe your parents if you live with them. And for you married people, after all that time together, you might be feeling one of two things. One, you aren't nearly as connected with your spouse as you thought you were. So you're thinking, man, I thought we were okay, but all this time together is just too much. Or two, you might be feeling that you're really disconnected from your spouse. And and you're thinking, man, we spend every day together and I still feel like a stranger to them. Man, disconnection. Maybe that's the crack in your relationship that has shown up over the past year. You see, stress reveals cracks and we have to deal with our cracks before they become canyons. You see, disconnection creates distance. Your crack grows. Distance grows into loneliness. Your crack gets even bigger. Loneliness creates apathy and coldness. Your crack becomes a canyon and it ends in abandonment, emotional or even physical leaving. So please, repair your cracks before they become canyons. So how can you begin to repair your crack of disconnection? Well, a connected marriage begins with oneness. In fact, I would argue that it's the most important thing the Bible says about marriage. Jesus used oneness as the reason why a married couple shouldn't get divorced. Paul used oneness as the reason why you shouldn't have sex with someone who's not your spouse. And Paul again used oneness as the foundation of his teaching for the roles of husbands and wives together. In fact, all three of these passages, the biggest ones in the New Testament, both Jesus and Paul refer back to the same verse. The same verse. So what is this all-important verse? That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. See, that's Genesis 2.24. And it gives us God's foundation for connection in marriage. Oneness between a husband and wife. It's the thing that everything else is built on. In fact, it is so important in marriage that if you don't get this one right, it's really hard to get the other parts right. So why is this so important? Why do we need oneness in marriage? I'll give you three reasons, all of which come out of Genesis 1 and 2. First, we need oneness to reflect God's image. See, Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, both men and women equally reflect the image of God. It is not that men reflect God when they lead strongly. Uh, it is not women reflect God when they have children. So friends, married or not, your worth is not determined by what you do. Your worth is given by God because you were made 
in his image. So additionally, God represents the best example of oneness, the Trinity. See, among the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is perfect oneness, perfect unity, and perfect wholeness. And when you live out oneness in marriage, you're living out a reflection of God. So that's the first one. The second one. We need oneness to live out a common mission. You see, the very next verse in Genesis says this. God blessed them, the man man and woman, and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You see, God gave men and women a common mission. Partners in the task, equally responsible. It was not men subdue the earth, women be fruitful. It was not men work outside, women work inside. And it was not men preach and lead, women teach Sunday school and cook. We are all on a mission together. And as couples, married couples, you need oneness to live out your common mission. Third, we need oneness to be partners in marriage. Genesis 2.18 says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. Now, most people agree that that's a true statement. It is not good for man to be alone. Leave us guys alone for too long and we either devolve into cavemen or we light something on fire. That's just the way it works. So most people generally agree with this idea. But, but the verse continues. It says, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now that's where the problems start. You see, this verse has been used to justify patriarchy and relegate women to second class, a place below men. But that couldn't be further from the truth. So let me give you a little Hebrew lesson. That word uh, helper that's translated helper is azer. See, you know who else was described as azer? God. This is not a weak word. This is not a secondary word. It's really a combination of this idea to rescue and save and and to be strong. So, ladies, wives, you are no mere helper. You are strong. You are a rescuer. You are our azer. Now, that second word, that second word, suitable. Now, this one has the idea of corresponding, even matching. So a better translation of this idea, of this verse, is I will make for man a powerful helper that matches him. See, oneness in marriage allows a couple to live as matching partners. Now, by now, I'm hoping that you're beginning to see how important oneness is to see how important it really is. It is the foundation of any healthy biblical marriage. But it can sometimes be hard to imagine what it could actually look like. 
So, so I want to give you some examples because there are a lot of misconceptions about oneness that are out there. So I want to talk about a few, take a few minutes to talk about what oneness is and what oneness is not. First, oneness is not being the same. Pofo and I could not be more different in our personality, our family backgrounds, our size. It is not doing everything together. When Pofo and I were first married, she would go to every action movie, every sci-fi movie that I went to, and because that's what she thought marriage was. But no, it's not doing everything together. Third, oneness is not doing whatever one partner decides. Being one is, is not the way to, if someone is the spiritual leader, then they call the shots. Okay? That's not what it is. And it is not giving up your identity. You should not suppress who God created you to be simply to achieve oneness. See, that's fake unity because you're being a fake person. Now, let's talk about what oneness is. See, oneness is shared values and goals. Pafua knows that if she comes to me wanting to help out a family member financially, I'm going to say yes because we both value being generous with our stuff. So how closely aligned are you and your spouse on the same big picture values for your faith, for your family, for your money? Another one. Oneness is working together and celebrating together. Are you in this together? Are you in it together? Or are you out for yourself? Or are you leading separate lives? Come on, be honest with yourself on this one. Are you on the same team? Or are you on opposing sides? How often do you and your spouse succeed at something together? When one spouse wins, both win. See, there's more. Oneness is a balance of give and take. So who gives in more in your relationship? Now, let me guess. You do. <laughs> See, there's this fascinating thing that happens in relationships where each partner usually feels like they are giving more than the other. But that's rarely true because oneness is a balance. Oneness is a balance of give and take because, and it comes out of a place of love, not control, not selfishness or fear or laziness. Also, oneness is protecting your marriage. It's not allowing anything or anyone to get inside your unity. This could be having an affair or talking with people on Facebook or stalking your ex. Okay, Oneness is knowing that when you're hurting your spouse, you're also hurting yourself. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, yeah, all that sounds great, but it's really hard. Yeah, it is. It's hard because of our selfishness. It's hard when you're tired or worn down. It's hard when you feel unappreciated. But it's hard for another reason. 
You might have a hard time living out oneness with your spouse if you don't first experience oneness with God. Theologians have a great term for this, union with Christ. See, this is a phrase that encompasses a number of ideas the scripture talks about. You see, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are in Christ. You are like Christ. You are with Christ. You are created in Christ. You are crucified with Christ. You are buried with Christ. You are baptized into Christ and his death. You are united with Christ in resurrection. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You are justified, glorified, sanctified, called, made alive, created anew, adopted, and redeemed. You are in Christ. That's what it means to be one with Christ. And this doesn't simply come from calling yourself a Christian or attending church or watching services. It comes from giving your life to Jesus Christ. So we're going to transition into another Practicing the Way segment on meditating on your union with Christ. I'm going to put those words that I just shared up on the screen and we're going to spend a minute or two thinking about what this looks like for you to be united with Christ, to experience oneness with Christ. Because oneness in your marriage or in your future marriage begins with oneness with Jesus Christ.